You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Todd Wicks. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, November 23rd, 2021. Later in the program, Big Talk host Michael Glab speaks with Niles Arena, co-founder of Cicada Cinema, a local pop-up movie theater. More coming up in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, bus drivers at the Monroe County Community School Corporation say they are stretched to a breaking point over driver shortages. And that's coming up in your daily headlines. On November 19th at the COVID-19 press conference, Board of Health Director Penny Caudill reported that Monroe County is still in the yellow advisory category and warned that COVID-19 cases and deaths have increased this month. Cases have been on the rise. Transmission has been increasing. And this week, we saw 123 cases per 100,000 residents and a 4.6% positivity. So we remain in a yellow advisory. Today, our daily cases, that rolling average is at 37 cases a day. It was this time last year that we went from yellow to orange. And we are traveling in the wrong direction. The other thing that I really want to stress today is the rising number of deaths that we have seen in recent days. Since October 18th to today, we have had about 17 deaths, one per day almost. So our average or that rolling average is about one per day. So it's not been you know, completely one every single day, every other day perhaps, but we are seeing way too many deaths. And for those who might be saying, well, death occurs in people with underlying health conditions who are older, I want you to look at the age ranges of people who are dying and they are getting younger. Caudill reminded residents that the health regulations and mass mandate are still in effect and will be until Monroe County is in the blue advisory category. IU Health President Brian Shockney said that influenza season started earlier this year and asked residents to get vaccinated as soon as possible. IU Chief Health Officer Aaron Carroll shared that IU's campus has also seen a rise in COVID and flu cases and will monitor the situation closely once students return to campus. What we're seeing mirrors what, what's happening in the rest of the state. Uh, COVID is on the rise. And so uh, we're watching everything and we're, we're still continuing everything that we are doing. Uh, and the numbers still remain you know, very manageable, but it's not decreasing week over week as it was uh, some time ago. Um, of course, students are really going home next week for the most part. Uh, and we'll have to you know, monitor as things restart up back uh, as they return and as we move into December. But it's, it's getting colder. People are spending more time inside. And uh, the numbers across the state and in much of the region 
appear to be heading in the wrong direction. Of course, flu, as many of others have noted, is also a real concern. We're seeing uh, significant cases of flu. And of course, you know, even though students are vaccinated against uh, COVID, that doesn't mean that they're immune from all diseases. And, uh, you know, too few are still vaccinated against flu. We're therefore working to try to get as many people vaccinated as possible against flu, um, as well as, you know, trying to scoop up the remaining people who still need to be vaccinated against COVID. Uh, but we're again, knowing that we're going to be on somewhat of a pause next week, we'll just have to be ready as, as students return to continue to watch both uh, these illnesses as we move into December. The next COVID-19 press conference will be on December 7th. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting with the election board on November 17th, Commissioner Julie Thomas said that the commissioners wanted to focus on the 2022 elections before planning anything further out. We've whittled it down to two very specific things that we know we need for 2022. And at this point, that's what we need to focus on is 2022, not beyond that. And again, we'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, we need to get spaces prepared. We need to be ready. Um, and it is November. So the question one, issue one, is which spaces do you want to use? Your current space, Johnson Hardware, your current use is 3,844 square feet. Uh, Napa building is 5,000 square feet. North showers is 2,702 square feet. So rudimentary math, 11,546 uh, square feet, which is three times the space you have now, um, which is um, only just shy of the 12,000 square feet of space that we heard earlier. So we believe that this is, um, it's not ideal, but this is what we have available in 2022. So we need to know which, we're assuming you wanna use Johnson Hardware, but which additional spaces do you wanna use? That is, that is up to you all to decide. I don't know if you wanna do that today or at your next election board meeting, but we need to know as soon as possible. And again, we encourage you to please consider early voting satellite locations for residents in the city uh, and also for those who live outside the city and work outside the city. The second part, so the first part is which spaces. The second question is, we need to know what needs to be done to those spaces that you choose um, for any remodeling, if if there's any request for remodeling, we need to get that uh, figured out as soon as possible, whether that's doable, viable, um, and how quickly we can do that. And also security, and that includes both cameras and access. The election board has requested that the first floor of the old Johnson Hardware Building be used for the election central in addition to the bottom floor to ensure that there is enough space for voters to house the documents and equipment securely under one roof. The location currently houses the Monroe County Community Corrections Office. County Clerk Nicole Brown commented that she felt like the commissioners weren't willing to hear the election board's ideas. I can say for me, when you say, let's get together um, after this and, and do a commission, it, it feels like we're going back behind closed doors and then, you know, you'll take what we give you and you'll love it. That's how it feels. If that's not what your intent is. 
Commissioner Thomas replied that that was not her intent and shared what the commission would like to work on. We have almost 12,000 square feet to offer you. It's not in one building. It's not under one roof. We understand that that's not what you want, but we do have almost 12,000 square feet of space for you, um, three times what you had in the last election. And that space is available to you. We need to know if you want that space and and if what modifications we need to work on because that is going to be in the way to move expeditiously uh, because we um, we don't we don't want to uh, fall short time wise on preparing for 2022. That's what we're focused on right now. Thomas said that normally boards bring up needs such as the amount of space needed and then they work together to find a solution rather than requesting one specific building. Commissioner Thomas said that the location the election board wanted was prime real estate downtown and that, at least for the 2022 election, it would not be possible to meet that request for the board. We certainly are responsible for providing uh, space uh, based on requests to the best of our ability. And it doesn't mean that we can magically make every request happen because if we did, county government would look very chaotic in terms of its space usage right now uh, because we do have a lot of departments that are using a variety of spaces. And we take time to um, work with architects to utilize the space as effectively as possible. Um, to help the department out, not to tell them what to do, but to help them out and to utilize the space as efficiently as possible. Downtown space is a premium, even though we do have North Showers building with great parking, and we have um, a lot of um, other buildings that we use, but we have departments that are spread all over the county, uh, all over the county buildings. Um, not ideal, but that's what they've had to work with and we've made it work. Um, and so we work with departments to, um, to consider their requests, to figure out what needs to happen, to make sure that we do it as quickly as possible if it's needed to be done quickly. And we just want to be as efficient in our use of space across the entire county as possible. The commissioners offered the bottom floor of the Napa Isle Park place and space in the North Showers building for the board to use in addition to the space already allocated for Election Central. Election Board President Shruti Rana wanted clarification that the commissioners were not willing to commit to giving the Johnson Hardware building to Election Central. So what what would be the purpose? So this is this is what I'm asking. So the clerk has already done a lot of research, presented a plan. What would be the purpose of a working group um, to, you, you know, like we, it, we're just getting back to a refusal to make a commitment. And it's so, nice okay. to intend to make a commitment in the future, but that's not the same thing as making a commitment. Thomas replied that they are not able to make a commitment today for the Johnson Hardware Building. The election board will tour the Napa Auto Shop before the next meeting on December 2nd. Bus drivers at the Monroe County Community School Corporation say they are stretched to a breaking point as the result of a driver shortage. During last week's school board meeting, MCCSC bus driver Rocky Laster apologized for long wait times when dropping off 
or picking up students. However, he complained that the shortage has placed an extra burden on bus drivers. We're very sorry that we're getting students to school late in the morning and home late in the afternoon. We're extremely shorthanded and we're doing our absolute best with the limited number of drivers that we currently have. Unfortunately, this limited number of drivers is woefully inadequate and this number continues to dwindle with each passing week. We were at least 14 drivers short at the start of the school year and in the three months since then, we've lost another 22 drivers. This extreme lack of bus drivers has forced us to put seven maintenance workers, two bus mechanics, and several transportation office staff, including our router and our dispatcher, driving school bus routes every day. We're stretched to the breaking point. This has truly placed an extra heavy burden on the drivers who remain. Many of us are having to drive an extra route every day, and some of us are even driving two extra routes every single day. Several of these route changes are happening at the last minute, forcing drivers to take on unfamiliar routes in the dark, in addition to their already overcrowded normal routes. Safety is being brought up as a major concern. Drivers are suffering from severe burnout and great stress, an inherently stressful and potentially dangerous job is being made almost impossible with all the new demands we're being tasked with. We absolutely understand that this is an unfortunate time to bring this matter to the board as the union is currently in negotiations with administration on a new contract for next year. After two gun-related incidents at Bloomington High School South, parents urged the board to take action on school safety. School administration at South discovered in late September that a student brought in a 9mm Glock handgun into school earlier in the year. Then, in October, another student brought in an airsoft gun that caused the school to initiate a lockdown. Concerned parent Elizabeth Bullock shared her concerns about gun violence in schools and asked the board to reconsider its decision to disarm school resource officers. Good evening. My name is Elizabeth Bullock. I'm my son as a freshman at Bloomington High School South. And I'm here again tonight to speak with the board about the issue of school safety after the gun incidents at South. Um, while weeks have passed and there have been no further incidents, um, we really don't feel this issue is any less important. Um, we have a unique opportunity here to plan around gun violence prevention in our school. And I really urge the board um, to join parents in this community who are working to protect students teachers and faculty. So while everyone is pretty much resumed business as usual, there are still lingering effects of gun, of, of these gun incidents at South. Um, I can promise you that there's intention every morning when I say goodbye to my son. I don't know if I'll see him again because I don't feel that he's necessarily safe um, in the school. Um, long gone are days when I yelled goodbye down the steps um, and know that he's gonna be safe. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak with the principal. I've had the opportunity to speak with school personnel, with other parents, um, and with the media. Um, and um, last month, you heard seven individual parents who spoke out through public comments separately about school safety issues. And yet again, we're not seeing this on the agenda today um, as part of your meeting. Um, and we're not going to stop speaking up about this until we see change. Um, as I've continued to learn the system, and it's been a learning curve for me, I've discovered that really nobody is taking full responsibility for choices made about de-arming SROs 
um, about considering metal detectors and improving prevention security in our high schools. Um, you have a very siloed system here um, and in a community that I think really prides itself on collaboration. Um, so I'd like to again commend the actions of staff and faculty at South during the October lockdowns. They move quickly, they place themselves in potential danger um, for the safety of our children. Um, since those gun incidents, I'm also aware that South has made very thoughtful improvements to their lockdown protocol. I'm also aware that the board administration and the school are repeatedly sharing um, with these concerned parents that they can't legally disclose detailed strategic plans to keep kids safe during lockdown. That's not what I'm asking for um, as a parent. I'm not asking about school's tactical plan um, during an active shooting. I'm not asking for details about what the school will do to respond to a threat. I'm asking you as the school board to reconsider your decision to de-arm school resource officers. Um, I want students to be safe. Um, I don't want faculty to have to run towards a pending threat without a means to protect themselves. Um, I don't want anyone at Bloomington High School South to have to wait seven minutes for an outside law enforcement agency that's already very short staffed to respond to a firearm incident. So I'm asking for the school system for the board today to vote to reinstate firearms for SROs and to follow national guidelines for the SRO program um, It's in the United States. You guys have the power this evening to make this change. If you can't do that, I urgently ask that you consider putting this on your agenda for next month. Thank you. MCCSC Superintendent Jeff Hoswald said the school corporation plans to update parents on the bus driver shortage next month. Hoswald says more plans on school safety will be released the following month. At the Monroe County Public Library Board of Trustees meeting on November 17th, Associate Director Greer Carson requested the board establish a fund line to receive the American Rescue Plan Act grants given to community access television services for new field equipment. Earlier this year, we requested and received funds to purchase additional field equipment uh, for CATS to better enable our CATS crew to provide hybrid local meeting coverage and participation on the part of the public. This is important because we have seen an increase in virtual meeting attendance and participation since the onset of COVID, but more importantly, we feel this is something that's very likely to continue even after we emerge from the pandemic. So this grant is part of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021 and as a federal grant with funds distributed by way of the Indiana State Library, we are required to establish an ARPA grant fund and to approve the appropriation of those funds. So tonight we have a resolution to establish the fund line and to approve the appropriation of the funds. The board unanimously approved the request. The next board meeting will be held on December 15th. In today's feature report, Big Talk host Michael Glab speaks with Niles Arena, co-founder of Cicada Cinema, a pop-up movie theater. Arena discusses how the ad hoc operation started after five local people who love movies, videos, and all forms of visual art came together to form Cicada Cinema. We turn to host Michael Glab for more.
As I say, Niall Arena, our guest this week, one of the founders of Cicada Cinema, a pop-up movie presentation doohickey. (laughs) (laughs) Niall, how long has it been in existence? It's been since 2016. Our first movie that we showed at Cicada Cinema was Halloween Night in 2016. Over at The Void, which was a DIY, you know, arts and music venue. Um, now yeah. it's part of uh, Switchyard Park. But um, our first year, year and a half was there. Then we wrote some grants and became a completely mobile pop-up. And the way I, I describe Cicada is that we we transform any place that, that we set up into a movie theater. And so spaces that aren't traditionally maybe used for film exhibition, but we we kind of change it up and we, we transform it and... Um, I'm so excited that we're getting back to to doing that because it just was quite a while uh, in 2020 and this year where it was just not quite clear how to do that safely and kind of with everyone's you know best interests. But now you've mentioned back. you've mentioned a, a couple of names already, and let's go over them again. There were, I believe, you said five founders of this enterprise. One being Niall Arena. You. Who else? Yeah, the, the rest are, are um, David Carter, who's also uh, deeply involved in Indiana University Cinema and the Heartland Film Festival, which just had its kind of big return after being, I think, completely streaming and, and at home uh, uh, last fall, but all around Indianapolis and I think also in Franklin, Indiana, they had screenings. Um, and then it's also Josh Brewer and then Eric Ayot and uh, Charlie Jones, um, and we made up the the five, uh, the quintet, I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, two of two of those guys have moved to New York, and uh, are they starting something similar to the Cicada in New York City? You know, I think I'm not sure if they're they're calling it something or if they're just involved, kind of in the kind of uh, youth organization after school programs there, but I know that they are screening their kind of monthly movie challenge with their, they're, uh, still up to, and we used to do at uh, hopscotch coffee and other places around town. Um, every month folks in Bloomington who want to make a film, uh, still welcome to do it and they will be screened. And we're trying to get back to having, uh, in-person screenings of those movie challenges every month too. I think it's just been a little bit slow to start. Yeah, I noticed you have already started movie challenges this year. Within the last few weeks, there was one the uh, uh, week of Halloween, and that one the the uh, theme for that movie challenge was horror movies. And you've got another one coming up with a deadline of uh, December 9th, Don't hold your breath. And it looks like those things are happening, but can they be viewed live? Yeah, so um, right now, I'm not sure if there is a plan for, for how to set it up here. If you if you find yourself in um, Hudson Valley area, New York, you're more than welcome to, to check it out. But as far as here, I'm not sure, but it does all get posted then online. And so folks who did want to submit a film, you could you could see it as part of the menagerie of uh, the monthly shorts. And that's at monthlymoviechallenge.com, I believe. Yes. Um, Yes. Monthlymoviechallenge.com. <laughs> the Instant Gratification Movie Challenge. And all of these films, the public is invited to make films, to submit, to be shown. Everything that's submitted gets shown 
whether it's live or however else you're going to present it. The films have to be five minutes or less. Boy, it sounds like fun. Oh, it's great fun. And, you know, the, the less chops you have, I would say, the better. Don't let it intimidate. I think the whole purpose of it being uh, a challenge is so it's not rating the movies. We're not saying this is the best movie. This is the worst. And the reason it's monthly, I think at least originally, was to make sure that no one had a running start. So that film uh -huh. student who had that perfect, polished four and a half minute movie. Ah, that's great. Don't submit that unless you made it just this month. We really wanted to kind of uh -huh. make sure that everyone had kind of an egalitarian approach and no one would feel shy about showing their first movie ever made um, or, you know, just making it on their phone and submitting it. You know, that's that's OK. And the five minute timeline is just to make sure that no one kind of hogs the night and, you know, <laughs> has their 25 minute perfect Oscar ready uh, short film. You know, what's a funny thing I just read the other day. This killed me. I had read that much of the Terminator was shot as a guerrilla production, that they were doing it at night and in unauthorized places, doing it all in one take before the cops came. Had you ever heard that story? I, I did not know that. That's that's incredible. I know that, you know, it kind of, you know, had more modest beginnings than anyone knows, kind of like the... Um, Mad Max uh, franchise, you know, being yeah. kind of where, where, where life is cheap and stuntmen would die right and left in the Australian <laughs> outfit. But I didn't know that about, um, yeah, they're not having film permits. That's, that's pretty cool. So who knows? Someone who submits a five-minute or less film uh, to the movie challenge uh, one of these days might become the next big thing in movie making. Exactly. Yeah, don't forget us. <laughs> Well, if you want to see some stuff that has been made in, even as far as the deep past, uh, the Archival Screening Night Roadshow Edition 2021, Thursday, November 18th at the Far Gallery. That's at uh, 4th Street and Rogers, 505 West 4th Street. You can get to uh, the Far Gallery at uh, thefar.org. That's right near the Rainbow Bakery, uh, speaking of hopscotch, uh, one of the places that's affiliated with them. That's a big, uh, you know, in the last five or six years, a big new area, uh, like a second arts district of Bloomington. Oh, yeah. And they've been, I should say, great friends to us, both both um, hopscotch and everyone involved there, but also um, the Fell Building, which uh, Rainbow is a part of. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, you know, the far center for contemporary arts and, uh, our friend Chaz over there, they've been nothing but kind. And, uh, yeah, we hope folks come out. It's, it's, uh, at seven o'clock on Thursday, the 18th. And, um, there should be some snacks and some beverages, but all ages are welcome. And I should say, Mike, if it wasn't emphasized before, it's completely free, thanks to our uh, partners and everyone being willing to uh, kind of slash costs so that um, we, we can put this on. Um, and that that's also Dennis Doros making uh, the license for this completely free. So that's been a big mission with Cicada from the beginning is to make sure that, you know, no matter who you are in Bloomington, you can come out and see a movie and it's not going to be a high price tag. It's not going to, you know, be a sticker shock uh, to come out. We try to keep it as uh, 
as cheap as we can to keep the lights on and the light bulb running in the projector. Now, you've said that uh, Cicada Cinema uh, kicked off in uh, October of 2016. Did you five guys know each other for a long time before that? Were you pals? We, we were, but, you know, it was one of those great things. It was like a heist movie where everybody knew everybody else, but not quite from <laughs> the same rate. And not everyone, you know, kind of across each line knew each other so I knew David just as being an avid film fan myself I was living in Indianapolis at the time and I talked to him and I talked to my friend Josh about how there was so much post-industrial space up in my neighborhood up there in um, Fountain Square Uh Um, and it's it seemed perfect for like a small micro cinema or you know arts theater because there were so many brew pubs that we didn't really need another place to get a burger and a beer what we needed was something to do before or after getting a burger and a beer and we talked about it for a little bit and then um my friend nick Romy, who was heavily involved in managing and running the void mentioned that they were kind of considering more film nights there and uh we got to talking with eric and charlie who i knew from years before also just submitting films to the instant gratification movie challenge and uh when um we overlapped at rhinos the youth center and all ages venue there and and then kind of you know, we were off to the races. We bought some chairs that were from a uh, uh, a church that was uh, closing or moving its congregation and didn't need them. They were these great upholstered seats. Um, we we figured out what we needed as far as speakers and a projector, and uh, the rest kind of over the years we were able to uh, buy either by grants that we wrote specifically for the materials to be mobile or uh, just through not really paying ourselves, but letting that uh, revenue from the little that we did from popcorn sales and movie tickets go to the materials we would need to kind of keep, keep it running. 